Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Judges. We'll be in Judges chapter 14 tonight. And uh, really what starts happening in this book is each chapter is going to be a sermon because you've got us, each chapter is a story. And so uh, we are picking up in the middle of the story of Samson, and we'll be in chapter 14 beginning in verse 1. Uh, my family, uh, we have a debate on our favorite vacation spots. And uh, over the last few years, uh, the beach uh, vacation has gotten less and less and less. In fact, when our family goes to the beach, they all prefer to swim in the swimming pool. Do you all know why that is? We have watched Jaws one too many times. You remember that movie, Jaws? We were actually on our vacation over Christmas break, and we watched Jaws 1 and Jaws 2. We tried to watch Jaws 3, but man, a third of anything is usually not very good. So, But Jaws 1 and Jaws 2, uh, man, it's all suspense the whole time. And you know when it gets suspenseful, that's when you hear the da-dum, da-dum. And it's like, do they not hear the da-dum going on? Why don't they get out the water? Don't they hear that that's happening? Uh, but that suspense of not knowing what's about to happen. And in Jaws, you'll have two people in the water, and you think, well, he's going to get the kid, he's going to get, and then he gets this other one, and the kid gets out or whatever. But you don't really know what's going to happen. There's a, there's a question mark, and that's the suspense that leads to the anxiety that leads to you not even wanting to get in the water. All right? That's what that does. And I'm afraid that sometimes in life we know the promises that God has given us, but we don't always see them coming to fruition, and we begin to question what's coming next. And we begin to live our life as if there's a da-da-da-da-da playing in the background, the soundtrack of our life. And we don't always know what's going on, and it causes us to question God's plan in our life. And I want us to take a look at this. I've entitled the message, Confidence in God's Plans. And I want to show you how God works uh, even when it seems like He may not be. Are you in Judges chapter 14? We're going to see Samson here, now grown man. And we're going to see how he interacts with his parents. Then we're going to see how he interacts with the lion and then we're going to see how he interacts with the Philistines. Each one of those is going to teach us something. So let's begin on how he interacts with his parents. Beginning in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. And he went back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now his father and mother did not know this was from the Lord, who wanted the Philistines to provide an opportunity for a confrontation. Because at that time, the Philistines were ruling Israel. Here is Samson. He's a young man. And I want you to notice a couple of the mistakes that this young man made. It says that he went down to Timnah. Now, Timnah was a town that was allotted to the tribe of Dan. 
Samson and his family were part of the tribe of Dan. However, at this time, the Philistines ruled that area. They had moved into that city, and they had forced the Israelites, the Danites, out of what was rightfully theirs. They had been in charge for 40 years before Samson came along. So it had been a while that they were in charge at this point. Now, we see that it says that he went down. That's because where he lived, which we find in verse 25 of chapter 13, between Zorah and Eshtael, that was in the mountains in the hills just west of Jerusalem. So in order to get anywhere from there, he would have to go down. And multiple times in this passage, it says that they go down, they go down, they go down. And there is a literal going down, but there's also a figurative going down. Because going down meant he stepped out of the land of Israel and went into the land occupied by the Philistines. He was removing himself from his home turf, and he was intentionally and on his own accord going and plugging into that pagan culture, the Philistines. You see, we're going to read the story of the life of Samson. This is the high point of his life because the rest of his life is literally downhill. So the fact he's saying he's going down, it was literal, but there's also a figurative application there where he's about to just go off the rails of his life, down, down, down. Now notice it says that he saw a young Philistine woman, and he wanted her as a wife. The narrator here emphasizes the fact that he saw her. Uh, He was being led by his appetite and by his lust, frankly, and he wasn't quite thinking about the decision that he was making. Now, we're not going to fault him too much because every man in this room was a young man once, if you're not still one. And there are times in which you are making decisions and you're not really thinking about those decisions. And usually they are connected. Cool woman. All right, y'all catch, you understand. I think we all can agree with Samson. However, this went across some pretty significant lines because this wasn't just a woman that he was interested in, uh, which we would expect a young man of his age to be interested in a beautiful young woman. But what is happening is he is going across the lines because she was a Philistine woman. Uh, His parents describe her as a member of the uncircumcised, which meant not just where she was from, but who she worshipped, and in this case, who she didn't worship. She was a pagan who did not worship the Lord. Uh, That was something that in the Old Testament, in the Torah, you were not to do. Even in the New Testament, we find the Bible saying, Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. It's expected that a Christian believer uh, dates and marries Christian believers. Samson here is going across that line, and he intentionally went to the Philistines, and he found a woman down there, and he said, go get her for me. Now, that may sound a little strange in our cultural context, but in that day, the families were very involved in the marriage proposals and in the wedding ceremony, etc. There would have been a discussion had between the fathers. There would have been a dowry negotiated that the father of the bride would have to give to the father of the groom. 
there would have been multiple details that would have been hashed out, not between the man and the woman, but between their families. So he needed his dad and his family to go and to arrange that and set that up for him. Now, at this point, he's never talked to her. At this point, he has a, may not even know her name. All it really takes is a look. It's been a long time ago, but nothing really changes, honestly, is it? And so we see this with Samson, and his parents say, Are you sure that's what you want to do? You're going across the line. Samson, you, you're an Israelite of the tribe of Dan. But not only that, Samson was set apart and consecrated for a purpose. And what was the commitment that he made? What was he? A Nazarite. And the Nazarites were set aside for a particular purpose. They could not eat anything unclean. They could not eat or drink or even touch something from the vine. Uh, There was a whole host of things that they were limited to do. They didn't cut their hair because they were separated to the Lord. This would betray that Nazarite vow. This would go across that line. This wasn't... This wasn't just any old gal. This was breaking everything that God had set for him. And his parents knew it. And they said, hey, don't do this thing. And notice what he says. And at the end of verse 3, he says, Get her for me, for she is the right one for me. Not the right one for the Lord. Not the one the Lord told me to get. She is the right one for me. He is not operating in accordance with the will of God. He is operating in accordance with the will of himself. We've got some teenagers at my house, and they are starting this dating game. And I got really mad the other day because I thought about my 13-year-old daughter and a boyfriend. And I, you know, I, I, I almost went home and got my shotgun out and started cleaning it. You know what I mean? Any daddies with daughters here that you, yeah, I'm going to need some assistance on this, I think. Y'all keep me out of jail, okay? Uh, but is there anybody good enough for your daughter? No! No! Uh, the same thing to a certain extent for Samson. But in this case... It was across the line. And here's what I tell them. Listen, kids, there are some things that I care about, but here's what I care about most. I want you to date and marry the one that God wants you to date and marry. I don't care if they're tall or short or really smart or not really smart or poor or rich. that. That don't matter to me. I want you to marry those that God wants you to marry. And God wants you to marry the one that I tell you to marry. All right? That's what that is. Now, his father and mother, you can imagine, are confused by this. When they found out from the angel that he was to be a Nazarite, and the mother was to refrain from certain foods and drinks and, and behaviors. Uh, I think she did that. Don't you think? I think she did. Um, I believe that when he was born, once he could figure out what was going on, I believe they told him, you're a Nazarite. I believe that uh, they took him to church on parent-child dedication. 
I, I believe they took him to Sunday school every week. He was probably in RAs when he was in elementary school. He probably went to youth group, and they sent him to camp and maybe a mission trip. Don't, don't you think his parents raised him that way? You better believe it. The angel of God said he's going to be set apart to serve the Lord. You know that they did that. You ever think that they had grape juice at their house? I don't think so. And so here is this family raising this child this certain way, and this is how he rewards them. How could that happen? How could that be? Now, his father and mother did not know this was from the Lord. What do you mean it was from the Lord? Well, let me take one option off the table. In James chapter 1, it says that the Lord cannot tempt someone to sin. So the Lord did not tempt Samson to go after this woman. The Lord did not force him to go down to this town. The Lord was not making him do this thing. However, the Lord was allowing this to happen. Now, why would the Lord allow it to happen? Don't you think those parents would be up? God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting, my, why are you letting this happen? It's because he wanted to use this as an opportunity to pick a fight with the Philistines. He raised Samson up not to live a peaceful life, not to have a wife and a big old family, uh, not to live to be an old man, not to live the Israelite dream, whatever that was, but he raised him up to deliver or begin delivering Israel from the Philistines. So the Lord allowed this, even though it didn't make sense to the parents, even though it seemed like it was against everything he had ever been taught, the Lord allowed it because the Lord was going to use that to fulfill his purposes. I want to be very clear. Samson went down on his own accord. Samson looked at that woman on his own accord. Samson demanded her to be his wife on his own accord. Samson talked to his parents on his own. Samson said, hey, listen, this is what is best for me. And what we find is in the midst of that which didn't make sense, God was still accomplishing His plans. A quick takeaway from that is this. Jesus will accomplish His plans despite our selfishness. Jesus will accomplish His plans despite our selfishness. Uh, judo. Any, we got any judo people in here? Good, I can talk all about it, and y'all don't know if I'm right or not. That's good. Judo comes from jujitsu. Jujitsu was was punches and kicks, and it was all kind of orchestrated. Judo was a little bit more free, but it was not attacking. What judo is kind of grappling and throwing, and there are a couple of main thoughts with judo that you want to do. One of the main thoughts of judo is you want to do whatever is as least as possible. And the idea behind that is, you may be fighting someone larger than you. If they come at you, you need to know how to move so that you maximize their movement, their weight, their whatever. And so in jiu-jitsu, that's when they'll come swinging. They'll say, Poo! and it doesn't look like they do anything, but they're using the other person's momentum against them. 
God did not have to start this train. The train was running itself. But what God does with our selfishness is he uses our momentum to fulfill his purposes. He wasn't making him do anything. We are all selfish. We can all be selfish. And even in the midst of that selfishness, he will fulfill his plans. Now, our selfishness will put us in a mess, won't it? It'll get us in a mess. But he will still accomplish his purposes in the midst of that mess. Thank God. Samson and his parents. Verse 5, we see Samson and the lion. This is one of those stories when you're a little kid, you're like, dude, this dude is bad. This is awesome. Y'all know what's about to happen. Verse 5, Samson went down again. There he goes, going down, you see. He went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, what was he supposed to avoid? Anything from the vine. Wine, grapes, anything made from the vine. What's he doing in the vineyard? Right now, he's somewhere he ain't supposed to be. We find out in a moment that his parents aren't with him. They traveled together down to Timnah, but somehow he got alone in a vineyard. I'm just, I don't know how much to look into that. All I'm telling you is that's probably a spot he's not supposed to be at. I don't think he's a young man. I think he's about 15. Cause that, anyways, let's keep going. That's what my 15-year-old does. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring at him. Now, this is shocking because a vineyard is not way out in the boonies somewhere. A vineyard would have been very manicured. A vineyard would have had a wall. A vineyard would have had a watchtower. A vineyard would have been uh, protected. People would have been watching out for stuff like lions. But here he was. All of a sudden, a young lion jumps out. What you have to, what you have to surmise here is that the Lord was in charge of this occurrence. He's the one that had the line in there. Why? Where he's, he's setting something up. He's testing him. Verse 6, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, rushed on him, it says, and then he killed the lion. What does it say? Tore the lion apart like you do a kid. What is a kid? It's not a human child. A kid is a little goat, all right? And so this lion attacks... The Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he doesn't just kill this thing. He dismembers it. He rips it apart. And notice he used the shepherd's staff to do that. He used the sword to do that, spear to do that. He tore that apart like Don tears stuff apart, just with his bare hands, right? Just wham! And that is supposed to be very sensational. You're supposed to say, whoa! How did that happen? Well, keep reading. He did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went and spoke to the woman because she seemed right to Samson. And after some time, when he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scooped some honey into his hands and ate it as he went along. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, stop for a moment. Uh, the, 
he went down to Timnah. He went with his parents. They had the initial conversation. He met this woman, talked to her. After talking to her, he realized, yep, this is the one. And, uh, and then they go back home. They're coming back again to get some things set up. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go check out this lion that I killed. I want to see what that looks like. And he walks over to see this lion, and it is a rotting carcass of a lion. Now, I don't know a whole lot about honeybees, but what I do know is that's not typically where they put their hive. In fact, the word for hive is not even here. It's the word for community. They, they got a whole colony of bees in this lion's uh, carcass. And the word there is a carcass. It's a dead body. Now, I'm reading that in verse 8. After some time, when he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. Now, he should never have left the road to see the lion's carcass. Any idea why he should not have even gone to see the carcass? A Nazarite, tell me what you mean. You could not touch a dead body or a carcass of a body. If you did, you became unclean. You would break your Nazarite vow. You didn't, couldn't even be in the area of a dead body. And so he intentionally went over there. Now remember, I believe that his parents taught him what a Nazarite was. I believe he knew he wasn't supposed to do that, but he didn't care. He's selfish. He wanted to see, and he went over there. Not only that, but you got honey in there. That's a freak-out deal. That, that don't happen. Again, in the same way that God sent the lion to test, he put the honeybees in there to test him. And he fails the test. He reaches in there and he gets honey out of that hive. What's the problem with that? He is now eating unclean food because that food is in the dead body of a lion. Sounds like John Henry, doesn't it, Mama? Our fourth child. And so he sins against God. By going to the carcass, he sins against God by eating the honey out of the carcass, but he sins even more doing one more thing. What was that? Giving it to his family. Because now, not, now, not only was he becoming unclean by eating the honey, but he went to his parents and he made them unclean by having them eat the honey from the carcass. That is a man that does not care what God thinks. Isn't it? That is a man that does not care what God thinks. His selfishness led to his sinfulness, and yet, as we will see, God will still use him. Brings me to the next point. Jesus will accomplish his plans despite our sinfulness. He will accomplish his plans despite our sinfulness. I was at home with our family over Thanksgiving. I was visiting with my brother-in-law and his son. Uh, my brother-in-law um, had a, a wild season, and he and his girlfriend had a child, and he married her, and they subsequently got divorced, and this is that child. He's about 21 or 22 now and is in college. And we were talking about the time in his life. The brother-in-law has since been saved. 
which is great, but we were talking about that time and how bad that time was. And the son said, I'm kind of glad that dad had that time because if he hadn't had that time, I'd either be a lot younger or not here. Now, the sin of the father, I mean, was terrible, but even in the midst of that, God was able to use that to bring the son along, and now he's 22 years old. Now, I'm not saying that they should initiate in that, but what I'm saying is the Lord used that to bring out this boy that we're proud of. Despite our sin, his plan continues on. We can't derail God's plan with our sin. Now, we may mess things up with our sin. We may get in a whole heap of trouble with our sin, but our sin is not going to derail the plans of God. Let's look now at Samson and the Philistines, beginning in verse 10. His father went to visit the woman. Here they go down again. And Samson prepared a feast there, as young men were accustomed to do. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. Now, there's a lot in those two passages. Here's some interesting things. Uh, one, the father went to the woman. Samson prepared a feast there. Where is there? That's in Timnah, which is where the bride was. Hebrews had the Israelites. They had their wedding festival, not where the bride lived, but where the groom lived. But here, they're having it where the bride lives. Why is that? That's what the Philistines did. He is now acclimating to the Philistine paganism, and he's living like them. It says that he prepared a feast there. What was this? This was a seven-day party, and the word feast is very specific. This was a getting drunk party. A Nazarite set apart to God who couldn't touch alcohol is now throwing a seven-day party where all they're going to do is drink alcohol. You see how far he's come. Not only that, but now they've, as the young men accustomed to do, which young men? The Philistines. The Philistines saw him and they said, you know what, you're not fitting in good. We're going to give you 30 men to accompany him. How would you like to have that wedding? How would you like to rent those tuxes for 30 men? Cool. We had like eight, didn't we, Kim? And I thought that was a whole lot. How many would we have? Six? Six. I, don't know. I didn't even have six friends. Boy, we were just pulling people off the street to come be my groomsmen back then. But he didn't have enough, so they pulled some off the street. Now, here's the thing. As we were looking at this, there's a particular word there. Uh, these were not just groomsmen. Why did they need 30 of them? Why did they bring them all in? He didn't need 30 people to help him throw a party. Why, why all of that? Because I believe it was under the idea that they were going to come help him. But really, what they were doing is they were putting some people around him, kind of as bodyguards, not to protect him from people, but to protect people from him. Uh, Mike Tyson had a bodyguard. Did you know that? And it wasn't to protect Mike Tyson. It was to protect people from Mike Tyson. That's what they're doing. They're putting people around him just in case he decides to get a little sideways. 
Now what happens, the Philistines, in in verse 12, uh, he says, Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast and figure it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't explain it to me, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they replied. Let's hear it. Samson initiated this wager. He is gambling. He initiated it. He wanted to do it. He thought that he had an advantage. He thought he had it sewed up, and he was willing to bet 30 changes of clothes. Now, that was an astronomical cost in this day and age when you didn't have more than two changes of clothes in your whole wardrobe. We ain't talking about today where you got 30 different changes of shoes in the closet, right? We're talking about back then. This was a big, this was an expensive wager. And so he is making this. So he said to them, verse 14, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And after three days they were unable to explain the riddle. Aha, he has defeated them. But on the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn you and your father's family to death. Cool, fellas. It's a riddle. Y'all just took this up a notch. We're going to burn you to death if you don't get this figured out for us. This shows the desperation. This shows the difficulty of the riddle. And it shows that by Samson giving that difficulty and that level of a wager, that it was more than just fun and games, but now he was trying to insult these Philistines. It got way beyond what Samson was wanting. So Samson's wife came to him weeping, said, you hate me, don't love me. You told my people a riddle, but haven't explained it to me. Look, he said, I hadn't even explained it to my father and mother, so why should I explain it to you? I feel like there's some solid arguments here. She wept the whole seven days of the feast. I think if I was Samson, I'd have just gone home, man. I'm just telling you right now. Read the writing on the wall and get out of there, son. But he didn't. On the seventh day, he explained it to her because she had nagged him so much. I'm just reading what the Bible says, y'all. Then she explained it to whom? Her people. Wait a minute, I thought they were getting married. I, I, I thought they were getting married. I thought when you get married, you ain't got people no more. You only got the one you're marrying. You see, she was going through the motions of getting married, but she actually was his enemy because she identified with her people, not with him. He didn't even know it. On the seventh day before sunset, the men of the city said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So he said to them, If you hadn't plowed with my young cow, you wouldn't know my riddle now. I like how another translation says it. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer. That's shocking that he would say that, isn't it? Isn't that insulting? I cannot believe that someone would use words like that. I can't believe it. It was just as insulting then as it is now. No, no, no. I would encourage you not to. Uh, I mean, you do what you want to do, but 
I like my life a little bit better than that. And so he was upset. He was upset with her. He was upset with them. I have a feeling he was upset with himself. This brings me to my next point. Jesus will accomplish his plans despite our stupidity. His selfishness and his sinfulness led him to do some stupid things. Don't act like a Philistine. Don't go down there. Don't throw that party that betrays your Nazarite vow. Don't give a riddle and gamble while you're at your wedding. Don't be talking to a woman and let her nag you to death. That's some stupid things he did, wasn't it? Yet even in his stupidity, the Lord used it and worked his plan. I met this week, there's a a young man, he's on staff at a church in Louisiana, and he and I went to college together. And uh, his pastor is a friend of mine, and he's on staff at this church, and I saw them at breakfast at the hotel. And so I was sitting with the pastor, and we were talking, and then this friend came up, and uh, I said, yeah, we knew each other from college. I said, now, I can't really tell any stories on him but I have a feeling he may can tell some stories on me. How many of you are glad that we are not judged based on what we did when we were 20 years old? Right? I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that, that's, that I'm not judged on At least I hope I'm not judged on that, right? We did some silly things, did we not? Didn't we do some just stupid stuff? And look how God's using us all today. Despite that stupidity, God, even in our stupidity, it did not derail what God can do. Look at what happens. Look, despite his selfishness, despite his sinfulness, despite his stupidity, what did God do? Look in verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and he went down to Ashkelon, which was about 20 miles away. It was a Philistine town. It was not a Jewish town that was in, that was in control of the Philistines. It was in the heartland of the Philistines. And he killed 30 of their men, hand-to-hand combat. Chuck Norris can't even do that. One on 30. And he stripped them. And he brought their clothes, and he gave them to those who would explain the riddle. And in a rage, he went to his father's house. And his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. It started, he's wanting to get married. God didn't let that happen. But instead, he used this event to start the battle with the Philistines. That was his purpose all along, and he accomplished that purpose. Now, what's the point of this? What are we trying to to pull out of this? Well, first of all, let me say this. This argument of Jesus accomplishing his goals and his purposes despite our selfishness, sinfulness, and stupidity, it is not a license for you and me to be selfish, sinful, and stupid. Don't hear this and say, well, I guess it doesn't matter what I do. If you look at the story, everybody's life was ruined by this man. The parents' life's ruined. He now is murderer, killing all these guys. It's ruined. Uh, them 30 men in Ashkelon, their lives were ruined. That, that wife and their family, we're going to see next week, their life gets ruined. Everything he touched was ruined. 
So don't think that this is a license to go and act however you want to go and everything's going to work out in the end. But, but here's what I do want you to take from it. Many of us are afraid that we have missed God's plan because of our selfishness, our sinfulness, and our stupidity. And we are concerned that we have derailed the plan of God in our life and the blessings that he wants to give us. We're afraid that our children have done that. We're afraid that our grandchildren have done that, that they have derailed God's plan and God's purpose. I believe we think too highly of ourselves that we think that our behavior can change the ability of God Almighty to fulfill his plans and purposes. He is still God He is still on the throne. He still makes things happen. What it does do is it encourages us that even though we have been one of those three things, he's still faithful to see it through. Let me remind you of Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who is responsible for carrying on to completion? It's Him. Since you got saved, have you ceased being selfish? Have you ceased being sinful? Have you ceased being stupid? That's an ugly word, but you know what? There's no kids in here, so I kind of like saying it. I can't say that word at home, but I say it in here. We hadn't ceased any of those things, but you know what? He maintains his faithfulness. And his grace is sufficient, his mercy is new every morning, and he will see you through and he will accomplish his purposes and his plans despite our shortcomings. That's a God worth worshiping, a God worth loving, and a God worth serving. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me just for a moment? Some of you may be dealing with some some of these issues where it seems like The Lord's plans have been derailed. Some of you may have something going on in your own personal life. You may have something going on in your family life. Uh, Man, I I know kids, grandkids, man, they they have a mind of their own. And there may be something happening there, and you're you're nervous, man. God, are you you're not going to be able to fulfill your purposes and your plans for me and my family? He is faithful. He knows what's going on. And he can work despite all of those things. Spend a moment thanking him for his faithfulness and for his care even in the midst of that. Samson's parents did not know what was going on just like you and I may not know what's going on but he is in control. Submit to his control and his plan in your life. Surrender that to him. Find encouragement in the fact that he is in control and he will carry it on to completion. Father, we thank you and we love you for Jesus. Lord, we see ourselves in Samson. We see ourselves in his story. And we see you that despite all of that, You come through. We surrender to you. We trust you. We follow you. And we pray, O God, 
that you see us through. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.